We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Every once in a while, uh, my son and I, he's starting to come around with the fact that we are we're corny. That's who we we're corny, because our last name is Cornea. And um, I was thinking today it's going to be a very clean day, because I woke up at 4:09. I thought that was kind of funny. But um, I'm just messing with you guys, man. Yesterday I had the privilege of going on a, a ride along uh, with Elmine Police Department. And, uh, you know, sometimes uh, I hesitate to let people know I'm a chaplain because then they say, oh, he's a cop. I don't like him. You know, um, we should have that attitude towards police officers. We, uh, when we're in trouble, we thank God for them. But, um, you know, as a chaplain, I get to serve the community, and that's my heart. You know, so I get to go out there with the police officers and see the different things that they encounter and, uh, you know, they have a job to do. And uh, all the guys that I've gone with, they've done a, done a really good job. But it breaks your heart, you know, when you see yesterday we had to arrest a young lady uh, for just doing things, man, that, that you know, she, she shouldn't have been doing. And, and uh, as she's sitting there with her hands behind her back, she's handcuffed, she begins to just look up at me and tell me her story and tell me about uh, her upbringing, tell me about how the fact that she didn't have a mom and just, uh, you know, the police officers arresting her, taking her to jail. And there I am thinking, Lord, what can I do? And, uh, and then I just I remembered that she just needs a Savior. That she needs Jesus. You know, and all these people out there on the streets and the highways and byways, and they're doing drugs. And some of you here probably today, you know, you don't know the Lord. And you come to church every week and your problem is, is you're still hooked on drugs. And God says, I want to do a work in your life. I love you. I want you to go to heaven when you die. But you got to get serious with me. You need a savior. Only he can set you free from the drugs and the alcohol. And the sexual things that you're doing. The pornography. The hardness of heart. The, the crime. You know, the world, we need Jesus. It's a real simple message. But, you know, you can't deceive God. And you can't fool, you know, yourself. You can fool us. That's cool. It's not a big deal. But, you know, for you to get serious with the Lord, is you got to come in and, and, get, and just say, Lord, I just surrender it to you, man. And when you do that, it's a simple thing. you got to humble yourself. What good does it do you to come to church every Sunday and then go to hell when you die? What do you, what's up with that? Why would you want that? Why don't you receive the Lord? Why don't you admit something that is so simple? You need Jesus. That one day you're going to die and you're going to stand before God. And when you stand before God, in whose righteousness will you stand? Will you stand in your own righteousness, saying you're good enough to go to heaven? You're not good enough to go to heaven on your own. I'm not good enough. You might even be a better person than me. Really, that's not, the, 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 that's not really what matters. 
What matters is that those who know the Lord, they've humbled themselves and they've prayed to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. And so that way, when I stand before God one day, the only, the only hope that I have is like, Lord, I received your Son, and I stand not in my own righteousness, but I stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that's what you got to do. You know, as we get into the study today, and we're going to talk a lot about, a lot about, about a lot of different things, that's what I want to begin with. You got to receive the Lord. You can't just come to church and then go and then live like hell. You can't, you know, think it's a religious thing while you're a pretty good person. You never killed anybody. You got to be perfect to go to heaven. And no one here is perfect. Jesus was perfect for you. And so when I think of just all these heartaches and all these issues, and the Lord just says, Manny, you got to just break it down and make it real simple. And just tell that person and that person and that person that they need Jesus. And when you receive Jesus into your life and you just follow him, he just sets you free. So I pray that if you don't know the Lord, that you would do that today. Or if you've drifted away from God, that you would come back to where you belong. Because really, even though it's going to take us a couple of hurdles to get there, that's what the message is today, but we got to go over a couple of hurdles first. Look what it says here in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 6. It says, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. And so we come to this passage, it's kind of difficult to interpret. One of the most perplexing passages, really, in the entire Bible. Right here in verse 6, there's a few things we do understand. We know that he is Jesus, and we know that the Spirit is the witness. He's a true witness. He's a spirit of truth. John chapter 14, verse 17. So, you know, we're going to see in the end that this... Imagine going to court, and I'm going to put it this way. You go to court, and the Holy Spirit is the witness. God is the witness. And he's just telling you about Jesus. That's kind of what it is. See, when you go to the church, and you listen to the sermon, hopefully it's not, it's not the man, it's not the manny. It is the Holy Spirit himself who's witnessing to you and telling you that you need Jesus. That's kind of what he's saying right here. But he also brings in a couple of more witnesses, and this is where it gets a little difficult to understand. Again, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. And so what does John mean when he writes that Jesus came by water and blood? And then later he emphasizes not only by water, but by water and blood. What does that mean? Can you guys help me out on this? Because I don't know, man. You know, well, let me share with you a few views. Martin Luther, John Calvin, they believed that the water actually speaks of us being baptized and the blood speaks of us partaking of communion. But I think that view doesn't seem to add up with the historical perspective that John had when he wrote that Jesus came. He came by water and blood. John seems to be right about something that happened in the past. He came by water and blood, not something that's ongoing. 
Another view is that the water spoke of Jesus' first birth, being born of the water. You guys remember when you were in your mother's womb? Do you guys remember that? You were swimming. <laughs> you were in water. Both of my children, when my wife's water broke, that's when we knew it was time. So some say, well, this is speaking of his birth and then his death. If this is the case, John would be essentially saying Jesus was born like a man. He died like a man. He was completely human, not some being who had no real contact with the material world. Because remember, that's what the Gnostics taught. They taught Jesus wasn't a real man. He was a phantom, and he looked like he was here, but he wasn't real here. It's kind of like an illusion. He walked and he left no footprints. And so maybe that's what John is saying, that Jesus was a real man. Augustine, who was an early church father, passed away in 450 AD, believed that the water and blood referred to the water and blood which flowed from Jesus' side when he was stabbed with the spear. Remember in John 19.34, it says, But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out and so if that's the case it's just a testimony of the cross right that he died for us one last view which is really the oldest recorded understanding of this passage recorded first by Tertullian who died in 225 AD he said that John is speaking of the water of Jesus baptism Jesus baptism and the blood is Jesus cross and so just to let you know, today this is by far the most commonly held interpretation that when we're speaking of the water and the blood, that we're speaking of Jesus' baptism and Jesus' cross. You know, an interesting aspect of this interpretation is that the Gnostics taught this. They taught that Jesus received the Christ Spirit at his baptism and the Christ Spirit left him before the cross. For them it was unstable thinkable that Christ could be crucified but here John insists that Jesus came no not just the baptism not just the water but by the blood too that the Christ was there the whole time he was just as much a son of God in the baptism of the cross fulfilling his ministry as he was at the baptism of water beginning his ministry and so you know these are the different views uh, which one do you believe you can tell me afterwards, okay? You know, we're not sure. You know, and every once in a while you come to a passage where you just can't be 100% dogmatic about it. I will tell you this, like I told my son. When John originally wrote this letter, his recipients knew what it was. They knew. We might not know. They knew. In studying this out, I don't see how anyone can be, you know, 100% sure and since I'm not 100% sure as a teacher, I don't want to run with something I'm not sure of. I don't think that's right. So I'm going to do what I've been taught to do. Pastor Chuck said, whenever you come across something you don't understand, you fall back on what you do understand. And we might not know dogmatically what the water and the blood mean, but we do know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus came in the flesh, both God and man, that he was baptized in the Jordan, that he died for our sins on the cross. And when he died, water and blood flowed out, proving his death. That we do know. And I know this, that the spirit of the living God does this, is that he points us to Jesus. John communicates this in verse 6. And Jesus said in John 15, 26, When the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you, whom... The Father will send the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He will testify of me. And so here we are on a Sunday morning. 
and the Holy Spirit points us to Jesus, and we're going to see witness after witness after witness. How many of you guys have ever done jury duty, just out of curiosity? How many of you guys have avoided it? <laughs> you can't avoid it anymore, huh? This is impossible, unless like you're dead, uh, you got to do it. And do you know how it is when you're during jury duty and you go and you listen to the witnesses and you listen to their testimony and then you make a decision, right? You come up with a verdict. That's kind of what we're reading today. Picture yourself in like this heavenly courtroom and you're the jury. You've got witnesses. You've got someone who's given you a testimony. And before the day's over, before this service is over, you have to make a decision. We have to make a decision whether or not what they're saying is real. See, this is what we do as human beings. We find ourselves in the courtroom of Christianity. And we listen to the testimony of the witnesses. We examine the evidence. And then we come to a conclusion about Christ. And the question is, do you believe in Him as the Lord and Savior of your life? Because really, this is what it's all about. And so, that's one hurdle. Okay? Before we get to our, like the meat of it, we have another hurdle. You guys ready? Okay, here we go. Verse 7. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. Now, if you look closely at your Bibles, I, I would imagine you know 99% of the Bibles that are here today there's a, little, there's a little mark, a little side note in your notes, in your notation. It says the N-U-M omit the words from in heaven, verse 7, through on earth, and verse 8. Only four or five very late manuscripts contain these words in the Greek. And so we come now to what's called the Johannine comma. Can you guys say that? Johannine comma. Now you know what it is. You guys are all theologians now. And uh, I almost wanted to skip over this because, um, I don't know, it's like this intellectual, theological discussion of Greek manuscripts and the like. But, you know, my son was really excited. Dad, you're getting to the Johannine comma. He was really excited. And I just thought, but I don't think anybody else is. <laughs> and, you know, but, but here's the thing. One day the Jehovah Witnesses come knocking at your door and you start talking to them about the Trinity, Right? And then you quote to them 1 John chapter 5, verse 7. And you know what they're going to tell you? They're going to tell you, you know what, that verse is not found in, in any of the ancient Greek manuscripts. And then they're going to start telling you what I'm about to tell you, so I'd rather tell you ahead of time. That way you don't go to that verse to prove the Trinity, because more than likely that verse doesn't belong in our Bibles. It's the only time in the New King James Version where we would say this, that a certain portion or passage doesn't belong. Verse 7 and 8 should simply say, For there are three that bear witness, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree as one. And let me tell you why we believe this. I'm going to try to do this real quick and bear with me. But basically the words in question occur in no Greek manuscript until the 14th century. They do appear in the margin of one 11th century manuscript and one 12th century manuscript, but just the margin. And so like you're reading your Bible and you've got a little note on the side. That's as early as we see it. In all the ancient translations of the Bible that we have, the Syriac, Arabic, Ethiopian, Coptic, Sahidic, Armenian, Slavonian, many others, this passage is not included. It's only found in one 
and that is the Latin Vulgate of 382. And so, you know, we got to come to the conclusion that that's probably not an original based on the manuscript evidence alone, but then we can add to that the, the evidence of reason, and that is this, that in the early days of the church, there was a vigorous debate on the doctrine of the Trinity. The church believed in it, but then some attacked it, so they had to have church debates and church councils. Here's the thing, that in those years, they never quoted from 1 John chapter 5, verse 7, in defense of the Trinity, never from a Greek manuscript. And if that was there, I mean, that would be the very first verse I would quote. But they never did, reason being it probably wasn't there. And so you look at the manuscript evidence, you look at the evidence for reason, and then you find that more than likely this was, well, you know, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt, some well-intentioned scribe. We know when we study the Bible, we know the doctrine of the Trinity is there. We see one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But at the same time, we're honest Christians, and we realize more than likely this verse wasn't there. It's just some guy writing the doctrine of the Trinity on the side. And so this leads us now to two questions. Number one, how did it get into the Latin Vulgate? which was an early manuscript. And the answer is, like I said earlier, some guy wrote it on the side, and eventually they included it in the script. And number two, and here's probably the one that's more important, than how did it get in your Bible? Unless you have an NIV. Any of you here have an NIV? That's okay. We still love you. Don't worry. NLT, it's probably not there. Um, but uh, for the rest of us, New King James Versioners, it's there. How did it get there? Well, here's how it got there. Remember, like I said earlier, these words were included in the ancient Latin versions of the Bible. And so in the year 1520, uh, a Greek scholar, brilliant man by the name of Erasmus, he wrote a Greek version of the Bible, taking the manuscripts, an excellent, excellent version of the Bible, and what ended up happening is he produced this edition and gave it to the people. But when the people studied Erasmus' Bible, they compared it to their Latin versions, and they noticed that he left out this passage. And so they criticized him for it. And so when he was criticized for it, he said, you know, the reason I haven't included in my Greek version of the Bible is because it's not found in any ancient Greek manuscripts. And so he challenged them. He said, find one ancient Greek manuscript that includes it, and then I'll put it in my next edition. So this is what they did. They went and they wrote one in Greek. They gave it to him. He felt pressured by the people and the leaders of the day, and he included it in his next edition two years later. But even in that edition, he wrote on the side a footnote that said he thought that the new Greek manuscript had been written on purpose just to embarrass him. And since the Greek text of the New Testament Erasmus printed became one of the Greek texts used to make the King James Bible, these added words became part of the Bible that we use today. And so just in case you think I'm weird, man, he's, he's lost it, man, the cheese slipped off the cracker, you know? I gotta let you guys know this, that most all the teachers that you and I listen to and respect, they have the same conclusion. Even Pastor Chuck Smith, when he taught through this, he said this verse probably was not original in John's writings because of the fact that it doesn't exist in early manuscripts. He said that. 
And so he said, verse 7, probably should not be here in the scriptures. And so, with that said, okay, let's go back to what it should say. And in verse 7 it says, For there are three that bear witness, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. These three agree as one. And again, we don't know for sure what the water and the blood are. Um, if it is his baptism and his death, we know that when Jesus was baptized, the Father spoke, huh? And said, This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. The Father God spoke, said, This is my Son. Listen to him. Follow him. There's a witness there at his baptism. When, when Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't just some little thing. I mean, the, the whole world turned black. There was an earthquake. The veil tore in two from top to bottom. The soldiers that were executing him said, Surely this was the Son of God. I mean, there was a witness at his baptism. There was a witness at his cross. If that's what it means, I mean, and then we can go from there and then basically say, you know, when you're in court, if you got one witness, it's just his word against, you know, his. You got two witnesses? Okay, now you're, you're giving me some more credible evidence. You got three witnesses. They're all agreeing. They're all saying the same thing. And he's saying, you know what? This is true. And so we don't know for sure what the water and the blood are, but we do know this. Witness number one, boom. Witness number two, boom. Witness number three, boom. They're all sharing that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. They're agreeing in their testimony. And, and what he's saying is that, hey, make a decision. That's all he's saying. You know, the Bible often speaks of the importance of a threefold witness in Matthew 18:16, Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy 19:15. He says, "By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established." Same thing in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 1. And so John is just saying this: that the testimony of the three, they agree as to who Jesus is. And not only that, look at how good these witnesses are, or especially one. Because <laughs> look at verse 9. It says, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. You know, and, and that's the way life is. We do believe the testimony of men. But, but imagine yourself, again, you're a juror. And the witnesses begin to come in, and I don't know, Norman Geisler comes in and he tells you that Jesus is the Son of God. And, and Charlie Campbell comes in, he tells you Jesus is the Son of God. And, and then, you know, um, I don't know, uh, Billy Graham comes in, tells you Jesus is the Son of God. And you're like, cool, these are some pretty credible witnesses. But then God comes in. And God says, this is my Son. He's the Son of God. God is now witnessing. Imagine that. <laughs> and, that's, and that's all he's saying. Not only do you have a threefold witness, they're all agreeing in their testimony. One of those witnesses is God. And, and all he's trying to do is he's trying to take that, that girl that I saw yesterday hooked on drugs, 
doing things that no father would ever want his daughter to do. And he's trying to, to tell her, sweetheart, I sent my son for you. It's real. It's true. There is a Savior for you. That's all God's saying. He's not trying to, you know, dazzle us or anything like that. He's just trying to make it real and make it clear and make it concrete that we have this testimony of the Holy Spirit. We have God sharing with us these things. And, and what ends up happening, I love what we read in verse 10, that if we believe in the Son of God, notice he who believes in the Son of God, he has the witness in himself. When you become a Christian, it's so cool that that witness is it's amazing. He comes and lives inside of you. And that's the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit is always telling you about Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is telling you that you belong to Jesus. He's there constantly. And not only is that, the Holy Spirit's not only witnessing, he's not just witnessing to you, then he begins to witness through you. Because he's the witness. He's the one that's sent to point people to Jesus. And he tells you that you're a Christian. And we're going to see later, it's such a beautiful thing. Romans chapter 8, verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And so for the believer, it's so comforting. We acknowledge God's word is true. But to the non-believer, there's a warning. In their unbelief, they're essentially saying that God is is a liar. Again, look at verse 10. He who believes in the Son of God has a witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar. Imagine that. God is up there witnessing, telling you, Jesus is my son. You look up at him, you point at him. Liar, I don't believe you. You say that to God? Well, if you don't believe, if you don't humble yourself and allow yourself to be broken of your sins, if you're not a Christian, then basically what you're, you're doing is you're calling God a liar. Because God is saying, I love you. I can set you free. You just come to me. Believe in my son. That's my son that died for you on the cross. And I'll save you. And you say, no, I don't believe. You know what you're saying is, God, you know, you're a liar. And so for us, think about that. That's a heavy it's a heavy accusation. Has anyone ever called you a liar? It was true, huh? <laughs> but God's not a liar, right? The Bible says God cannot lie in Titus chapter 1, verse 2. And we need to believe. And I want to encourage you not just to believe when you get saved, but to continue to believe every day of your life. All the beautiful promises that God gives you. I've given you the Holy Spirit and there no sin shall have dominion over you. I love you. No, you don't. I love you. God says, I love you. You're like, God doesn't love me. You're saying God's a liar. God loves you. God forgives you. God washes you. God sees no sin in you. Do you believe that? God says, here's peace. Here's joy. Here's love. Here's freedom. Here's all the promises. I will take all the crazy things that you've gone through in life, and I will use it for good. And there you are, and you're worried. Oh, I don't know how God's going to do anything good with this. He will. 
And if you doubt that, you know, don't, don't, don't doubt it because then you're telling God, in essence, that you're lying. Not a good thing. And so, basically, what he's saying is that, listen, this is the courtroom of Christ, and here's the witnesses, and here's the testimony. In verse 11, he gets specific, and then he says, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. You see, the testimony is really simple. You know, you don't have to go to Bible college to understand this, you guys. If you have Jesus, you have life. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. That's all he's saying, really simple. That's what the Holy Spirit is saying. You know, spiritual pulse means that you've got a person, right? If you've got a spiritual heartbeat, that means you have him, right? I mean, if you are breathing, then that means you're believing in Jesus as a spiritual creature. You see, this is he who sets me free. And the testimony is that God has given us, Christians, I like this right here. He says eternal life. And that's something to contemplate. I don't know if you guys ever think of eternal life, but it speaks both of a quantity and quality of life. Do you guys ever think of eternity? You're like, no, you know what, Manny? I never really think about eternity. We sang that song earlier, and we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing his praise than when we first begun. I mean, you know, now that I'm, how old am I? I'm 40, 46 years old. Time's running out, right? And you're like, oh, okay, the clock's winding down or, or something. And, you know, we live in time. In heaven, there's no time. It'll be forever and ever and ever, the vanishing point. God says, I've given you eternal life it's a quantity of life it's a quantity of life experiencing that forever but it's also a quality of life right and that's what we want to encourage you guys to know john chapter 10 verse 10 jesus said the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy i have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly let me just tell you this man that god has a plan for your life and so does the devil. The thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Steal you away from God. Kill you. Commit suicide. Get rid of your life. Somehow end your life. And then destroy you in hell forever. It's a very, very simple plan to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you may have life. And not just life, but and life abundantly see it's eternal life that Greek word for abundant is a really cool word you know right here it speaks of something that is superior extraordinary it's the advantageous life the eminent life the remarkable life the excellent life are you enjoying that type of life God says that's what I came to give you the same life that God experiences is granted to us not that we're God or little gods, but that we're his children. 
First John chapter 2, verse 25. And this is the promise that he has promised us. Eternal life. Not just quantity, but quality. John chapter 1, verse 4. In him, Jesus was life. And the life was the light of men. And so let me ask you a question, you guys. In closing today, do you believe in the name of the Son of God? And of course we know that's Jesus, First John chapter 3, verse 23. Well, if you do, then John says right here, then you have life. And I want you to know that you have life. You know, I talk to different people, and let me just share, the, share with you, and I've told you many times, but I want to say it again, that one of the most difficult things for uh, me, one day I'm going to stand before God, and I'm going to give an account of what I taught, and how I preached. And the Bible says, let not many of you become teachers, because you will receive a stricter judgment. And so we got to make sure that we don't have loose lips. But, you know, I don't want to give anyone here, you know, a false assurance. I don't want you to think that you know the Lord when you really don't. But at the same time, I don't want to make any genuine Christian here doubt their salvation because that's a tormenting place to be you know sometimes the christians they live there they're they're really blood-bought bona fide believers in the lord and and they're just like they don't know they're just constantly wondering and i just think that first john it really helps us in this and that you know you you match up the belief with your behavior right and you say you love God, then you got to keep His commandments. And His commandments are pretty clear. Love others. If you're not obeying and if you're not loving others, and there's not the behavior, and yet at the same time, if you're not behaving, it's simply because you're not believing what we're teaching today. And that is, it's just Jesus. You guys, when you get saved, you've got to surrender your life. You've got to be broken. You've got to allow God full control of your life. And if you don't, then you, you might not make it. And so you come to the Lord and you're humble and you're broken and you just say, Lord, I got I to gotta give you my heart. Here's all the keys to my life. And I want to receive you as Lord and Savior. And, and when you do that, You'll know it. You have an inner witness. You have an outer witness. You'll know it. And then as you're going out and you're living life, you, you mess up because you know, we mess up. We sin. I don't want to, but I do. But I know in whom I have believed. I know. I know the Lord. That's what John is saying. When you really know the Lord, then you know it. And if you don't know it, maybe you need to really search your heart today and ask God to do a work there. He wants to give you that peace that surpasses understanding. I remember this song by Stephen Curtis Chapman. And uh, he said, Who is this angry man I see? in the mirror looking back at me. It's a man who's tired, a man who's weak, a man who needs a savior. 
And who is this fearful little child crying out for home lost in the wild with a lonely heart that's fading fast, a child who needs a savior? And then he goes on to say, and who is this one nailed to a cross who would rather die than leave us lost? He's come to rescue us. He's come to set us free. Hallelujah, hallelujah. It is Christ the Lord, our Savior. See, we need Jesus. The Holy Spirit says, you need Jesus. And so he's come to save us. And so, Lord, we thank you for allowing us to study your word together as we look at the witnesses and we listen to the testimony. We believe, I believe, Lord, in you. And, Father, I pray if there is anyone here who doesn't believe that today would be the day of absolute surrender and brokenness. Because what, what good does it do a man if he gains the whole world? and yet loses his own soul. Father, I pray, because you know, you know every single person here better than we know ourselves. Lord, if there are any here today who have this false assurance, then speak to them today to just come to your love. And if there are any here today who have been doubting their salvation, even though they really know you, then Lord, I pray that you would just allow your Holy Spirit to comfort them and to assure them that they are your child. Lord, we just thank you for the cross. Thank you for Jesus. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.